0: Welcome to the Disruptor Series
1: Podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TVWA Chiat Day New York.
0: Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Wow, we're going to have a really fun show today. Uh, We're disrupting ourselves with two guests. So we're here with uh, Nomad's. Uh, Nomad strategists, they're writers, they're creative directors, they're bloggers, they're speakers, uh, and they are the founders of the consultancy called Genius Steals. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome Rosie and Faris Yacob.
1: Hello. Thank you for having us.
0: Hi there. (laughs) (laughs) That's very good. (laughs) Very good. Very interesting. So, yes, you guys uh, are truly disrupting our format. We usually go one on one. Maybe tell us a little bit about. Um, the fact that you're quite joined up on on most of your activities,
2: we are. It's true. Um, yeah, I mean, it actually happened somewhat organically, I suppose. Mm. Um, we got together, fell in love first, and then uh, ended up working together sort of after that.
1: Yeah, we always say we're accidental entrepreneurs, and the the entrepreneurship is equally accidental to the working with your spouse thing. However. While a lot of people say they could never work with their spouse, I think the key is not the being married. It's thinking the other person has the harder job. Mm. So there's this inherent mutual respect coming from the years of knowing and loving each other. But there's also this endless joy when working together because I truly think Ferris does all of the hard parts. I don't really
2: do anything, I don't think. But um, (laughs) but, uh, I do think we have very complementary skill sets and kind of areas of interest as well. Rosie uh, Rosie's an excellent, excellent sort of business and logistical right. uh, person, as well as happening to be a good strategist. So it, it, it's a sort of combination thing.
0: Good. Well, we're going to get into all of that. I, you know, I met my wife, uh, you know, at work, so I understand. Right. See, there you go. Uh, so it, it really works. I think the only thing that I can't do with my wife is uh, like I'm canoeing.
1: <laughs> What's the problem okay. with canoeing?
0: I don't know. There's something Does about she paddle w- too fast. <laughs> I, I, I think it's me. I don't think it's her. She's actually a pretty good athlete, but when it comes to these paddling sports. I don't know. Slashy. It's
2: it's I think, I don't. mean, I like the idea that, you know the older version of the American dream construct was like the sort of mom and pop mm. store and kind of you know mm. on main street somewhere in you know middle America I guess so uh, the fact that people have evolved past this and everyone's like as Rosie mentioned people often like I, don't, I love my wife I'm not sure I could work with her I'd probably end up killing each other and right. like, oh, that sounds like quite a bad relationship <laughs>
1: no I think, some, I think also people have inherently different expertises a lot of times maybe it's not opposites attract but I can't imagine trying to um, bring a spouse into a piece of business where i was an expert and ferris was not or vice versa that imbalance on respect and yeah expertise i think could lead to a very fraught relationship so i don't think it's a thing where if you're an amazing graphic designer and you happen to need a creative advocate or business person i wouldn't necessarily advise first choice go for your spouse i would say look for the so, best person yeah. for the job and if that happens to be your spouse then
2: i want ah, I got it on merit it was my all <laughs> merit brilliant that's good news <laughs>
0: Well, I think what's interesting about what you guys are doing is uh, and again, just to you know, get our get our propaganda out there. Yeah. Um <laughs> Please it's no. it's uh, it is a disruption. And I think uh, you know, looking at your career, uh Ferris, I think uh, kind of proving that a strategist at an agency, traditional creative agency, mm-hmm. didn't need to live in the office. I mean this was sort yeah. of the first seeds of disruption. But maybe tell us a little bit about your company Genius Steels. That's that's what you guys call yourselves.
2: Yeah, sure. Genius Steels um is named after a sort of quotation. Talent imitates Genius Steels, which is attributed often to Picasso or Mark Twain or Oscar Wilde. It's actually uh, derived from a T.S. Eliot line about poets, great poets steel. Um so it's predicated on the idea that ideas are new combinations, that originality is a myth, that nothing comes from nothing. And so we have a kind of methodology towards creativity uh, and towards solutions that comes from drawing from the best elements of experience. By the way, is
0: one of you an attorney? I mean, it
2: seems like there's some
0: <laughs> IP challenges um, uh, along the way. Well, here. no, actually,
2: we've just written we just covered a, cha- a chapter about this, in fact. Um Stealing is honest. Copying is dishonest. That's the sort of important distinction <laughs> in our cosmography. So, uh, copying is passing off someone else's idea and pretending it's your own. Oh. Stealing is incorporating the idea into a higher order mashup or recombination. So, uh, copyright only applies to the specifics. The ideas can move up and down levels of abstraction, and then you can borrow different pieces. Hmm. In the same way that the guy who invented Velcro didn't get sued by the people by nature for copying it from burrs, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think you know for the world traveling that or it really helps being able to be world travelers in terms of having a pool of legos to build with right mm. so if we're looking at just one place that Is similar and full of like-minded people or something that we expose ourselves to constantly. It's less interesting. Getting to travel and expose ourselves to a number of different types of people, a number of different types of cultures and Mm -hmm. company. We found one of our sweet spots has been um, working with agencies across the world Mm. to help them refine and develop processes because they're thinking about the agencies around them, nearby, proximity, instead of like the small consultancy in Paris that has an amazing way of ideation. They by, by, by
0: the way, I, I think that's also a disruption of what I'm seeing too much of, which is we're going to do research by taking a trip on Google.
2: That right, Google yes. becomes
0: a de facto way to garner uh, and grok it what's going on with human behavior. But obviously, you guys have a different methodology.
2: Well, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm very fond of Google, as they used to say, as a barometer of cultural interest as a sort of aggregate measure of actual behavior. It's sort of unparalleled. And Google Trends is very good for that, but it doesn't have any qualitative substance Mm. Um, and I think that's the kind of that the thought around piecing disparate things together right is really important to us so you know Steve Jobs popularized the quote that we kind of use part of and he sort of said you know the key is to expose yourself to the best the world has to offer and sort of find the pieces that seem most relevant you know inside Mm. the industry outside the industry inside different disciplines within the industry and then across different geographies Mm -hmm. as well that's all part of how we approach things so
0: on like like, so maybe walk us through like a given assignment like a project for you guys and again, you, you yeah. came from the Cape, that you said you. were uh, yes. yes, we were just.
2: That was more just visiting, you know. <laughs> uh, well, okay. <laughs> well, I, I, fourth okay. I July. I figured you were like the the, the the Cape, you know, in the south of Africa. What is that the Cape, 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 <laughs> Cape, Cape of Horn, Good Hope? Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Something no, we, we, exotic we were exotic. Like that. no, we were in Cape Cod, just uh, fourth, fourth, <laughs> fourth of Julying. Yes. Thank you, Billy
1: Linker <laughs> yeah. and
0: family. But 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 give it. You know, give us a sense of what what it's like. So you guys. Yeah.
2: You get an email, you get a text, we need help. We do get, yes. well, essentially all of our business comes from emails, yes. That is the, the consumer journey usually begins with that email, <laughs> yes. Because
0: um, by the way, it's it's a consultancy, it's workshops. Yeah. Uh, you do some
2: So uh, there's probably three speaking. or four products, I guess, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So we do speaking, yes. We speak at events, both conferences and sort of corporate innovation events. So we spoke at 3M and Google last year and that mm. kind of stuff. Um, we do workshop stuff, so... That could be either structured facilitation around a specific brief for an inter-agency collaboration thing, or it could be teaching agencies to do certain things. Mm. Um, As Rosie sort of mentioned, one of the things that we, I guess, um, position as part of our proposition is the fact that between the two of us, we've worked in PR, digital, media, advertising, management consultancy, and journalism. So we have a a breadth Mm. of experience across disciplines all of which are sort of blurring together at this point, right? So I used to work at Maxim magazine before um, I was in advertising. and um, Briefly, anyway. But it's kind of those different disciplines are all being cross-pollinated at this point. Right. But there's a huge degree of linearity in the industry's hiring practices. So very frequently we encounter people that only have ever worked in one right. stream.
1: And it's this bizarre thing, especially in advertising, you know, people who are hiring to work on a car account, they want someone with experience working on a car account. Mm-hmm. And does, that just... For us, mm. we don't see as much value. It leads to burnout quicker. And also just your source of inspiration to pull from is it's, so close-minded. Yeah. The,
2: the gene pool does not allow for hybrid vigor because it's too thin, too <laughs> mm-hmm. shallow. So, like so when I was at Naked, a lot of what we did there was structure and help facilitate roster agency relationships across 20 different mm. kinds of company that Sony has at European level, something like that. So part of the work we do is that kind of alignment. We also do things like we did some stuff with a media agency in New Zealand to help them develop a creative process. Mm -hmm. So they're being asked to pitch ideas. It's not their muscle memory. Um, And they're looking for how... And so we just take the creative practices from one and take it to the other. Or Mm -hmm. conversely, the the planning practices from media and apply them to creative problems, you know, to sort of show how integration might work better.
0: And then do you find... Because I read somewhere that you spend some time in Airbnbs. I mean, Mm -hmm. so do you find that, hey, we're going to go... We're going to hang in Paris for the next six weeks Mm -hmm. and then... You either have a gig or a gig materializes.
1: I would say usually mm-hmm. usually the work ends up being the tent poles of travel. So, for example, we have three speaking gigs in Minneapolis in the next two weeks. And so we knew that... Being in the South, we were going to come up north anyway. We right. didn't specifically have a job in New York. Um, however, we have clients based here. It's always good to see friends, but that was really because we knew we were going to need to be in Minneapolis next. Yeah. Um This and
0: the disruptor series
2: podcast. Well, exactly. of course. Well, no, I mean we did. We did. You know book in a possible slot this summer. We did say that. We just had to work out when it was going to fall. <laughs> when it was going
1: to be. I you mean, just,
2: ex, glad, just, glad you're, just glad you're here at the right time. Yeah, know? exactly. You're yeah. traveling
1: king as well. Um, and I think, you know, this first part of the year, we spent... Mostly outside of the U.S., which interesting mm. time to be outside of the U.S. So we it spent was. first few months in India mm. and then Indonesia. In fact,
2: we met one of your colleagues, the man oh, called yeah, Govin Govind handy in, uh, in, oh. yeah, in, in Mumbai. Excellent. He's now yes. coming to judge an award show with us in excellent. Vegas in September,
0: I think. But are you finding that uh, being in India for those moments, mm-hmm. those days, whatever it is, and I'm sure most of it happens quite organically. But are you doing anything almost premeditated to say, here's what we need to really find out about India? So when we're talking to a car company who's trying to mm-hmm. do stuff in India, you can say, guys, this is not Google. We were on the ground.
1: Yeah, yeah well, so in some
2: aspects, I mean, keeping our eyes open is definitely part of it. And as anybody who works in and around advertising we tend to be overly aware of it in Mm -hmm. a way that normal humans do not that walk through their life looking at ads. We do. So when we did some work with a large uh, soft drinks company that I can't say the name of, um, I showed them my collection of advertisements around the world of theirs because I happen to take pictures of those things. Um, But it isn't usually as structured. It's usually more osmotic, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, South America, we spent the first uh, few first half of the year last year in South America, and it was one of the first times where we really had incredibly limited bandwidth for an extended period Mm -hmm. of time unexpectedly. Because I'm telling you, when we were in Cambodia, the bandwidth was ace. We could watch videos. Mm. In South America, we went for months without even being able to stream really a two minute video. And so those kinds of practices, you think back to we have calls with you know clients who are global clients who have activations in South America. And we work with um, teams who are very proud of these beautiful creative assets that they've made. And they don't realize that uploading them or for the viewer to then download to their phone to view them takes so much time it's incredibly expensive and ultimately leads to a really poor viewing experience so something that's non-obvious that you're not going to find out from google until you're there and really struggling with the bandwidth going this just doesn't make yeah. sense and, and
2: it's sort of there's a, there's a curve that i have in my head for when you get to these new countries right so Tell me about this curve. It's kind of like a waveform. It's like an analog waveform between familiarity and novelty, right? Mm. Because we have this, mm. the whole thing about attention management and our understanding of ideas is that interesting things combine a bit of the familiar and a bit of the novel. Anything too novel scares people and it's hard to understand. Anything too familiar is just copying and therefore boring. So when you arrive in a new place, what happens is everything seems very unfamiliar to begin with. And it takes a few days, usually about a week to sort of lock into a pattern of, okay, Mm. these are these shops, this is where you buy SIM cards, and this is what the coffee place looks like, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then that familiarity begins to sort of overtake the scary, you know, wow, what's going on here? What's everything different? But then after a while, that familiarity burns away as well because you begin to realise there's deep seated cultural differences that only Mm. begin to emerge later. It takes longer for that to happen. You need to be more... um, Embedded in the culture for a while to get that sense of how different some of those things can be.
0: And I mean, just to build off this, because I think it's, you know, what you say uh, about uh, the familiarity piece, and then what you're also saying about the, uh, the limits of the distribution model, mm-hmm. uh, just led me to Can, because we right. just <laughs>
1: got back from
0: Can, uh-huh. so.
1: Well, that's why you're tanned. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Uh,
0: So how much of what we do is, you know, as you hear in in the U.K., up our own bum? I mean, are we really, Mm. you know, as advertised, you know, you guys are advertising adjacent. Mm -hmm. uh, But because you're living in the world, like, what's really out there, I guess, is my question.
2: Mm. Um, From brands. Yeah, no, from brands, that's fine. I think it has been observed. Uh, that because, So I have a thesis that I talk, talk about a bit in my book that culture began to fragment in around 2000. Mm. So sort of what was monoculture in from the 50s through to about 2000? I, I sent things like Friends was the last moment of monoculture in the world. Mm. Or
1: even Supermodels is another great example. Yeah, exactly. Everyone used to know. Yeah, yeah. The supermodels and now it's so, there
2: thousands. Media fragmentation begat cultural fragmentation, and as a function of that, things are not as famous as they used to be.
1: Yes.
2: It's very, very hard to make something genuinely famous in the world now. So a lot of the things that are famous now were famous before fragmentation occurred. All the stadium rock bands that still do stadiums that are big enough to fill a stadium. You
1: too is on tour pre- this summer.
2: predate the digital age. Because fragmentation is a problem for that. So it is observed, I think, that um, not even just geographically, but even within countries, a lot of the work that's being awarded doesn't seem to have been seen in the wild, at yes. least at scale, let's say. Um, but then there are things, and I think as a function of that, the things that are win, uh, to my mind, the more interesting awards, the ones that sit outside media parameters to say, innovation or titanium or the new categories that we curate for the Lears, um, tend to be won or at least... Demonstrated their efficacy or the intermediate efficacy by massive PR, mainstream mm-hmm. media reach. Things that don't create mainstream media reach don't get famous enough.
0: All right, so I, you're 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 hitting on like a real nerve for me, which is um, PR. Um, well, no, no, I'm obsessed with uh, I guess the paucity of fame, the the fact that we don't have yeah uh 1984 anymore you know to use you know an apple example we don't have this uh like you say the supermodels we don't have a shared sense of what's famous apart from i think this year fearless girl i think the power of fearless girl is that that broke through yes just our advertising circle and again
2: that's the point right so it's interesting that these two sculptures both won so many awards can but um, yeah, it is PR coverage, right? So I gave a talk in Australia earlier this this year? Yeah. yeah this year. Called Everything is PR. Hmm. And uh, my thesis there was that in order to generate any kind of awareness anywhere, you need to do something which generates attention. And that increasingly needs to be something you consider, the PR aspect, right? For a brief period, um, I was the Chief Innovation Officer at MDC Partners. And for a brief period, I overlapped with Mr. Bogusky before he decided to part ways and he he famously wouldn't let you present creative work unless you read the press release first I think he grokked this model very early on that even in the noughties ad saturation levels had reached ridiculous you know thresholds let's say and so there was a requirement to generate PR
1: well I think the other thing we talk about too is um, it used to be share of voice, right? Mm-hmm. And that was because we had a specific set of media mm-hmm. that you could plug and play into. Mm-hmm. With digital, you have infinite media. Mm-hmm. And so share of voice doesn't really make sense. You cannot have a percentage of infinity. That's mm-hmm. not how it works. I think it's share of attention span. Yes, exactly. You know? so share we of would attention.
2: agree. Uh, yeah, <laughs> By um, the way, if
0: genius steals, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> I mean, I... Attention is the finite quantity, exactly that, right? Yeah. There is a finite amount of human attention available.
1: And you think of the buzzfeeds and voxes of the mm-hmm. world and by getting a few seconds of the average daily user's time, they are valued billion dollar companies.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is also part of the so the big shift towards algorithmic media changes the nature of it because media companies couldn't grow beyond a certain size because of language barriers and cultural barriers. That's why media is highly regional or was. Google and Facebook don't work that way. And so they're global, which means they're just much, much bigger entities because they can operate without producing content and work globally. So, so let's stay on this because I think this is really fascinating. And I think, again, back to our propaganda,
0: this is the big disruption, mm-hmm. that we don't live in an advertising age. We live in uh, either a PR or an attention age. Yeah. So I guess my first question off of this track here, which I think is fascinating, is how do we get these things famous? Yeah. How? I, I'm, I don't know if this is a big question. You guys get asked on your journeys, but it's like, yeah. how do um, we get things
2: famous? So if the question was answerable, it would be br- brilliant, right? Mm. Like if it was, there was a clear, here's the three-step process that Farris has invented for you to um, generate fame. With TBWA now, because we're <laughs> <'cause> we cracking <laughs> well, this exactly. podcast. Well, No, it's fine, yeah? <laughs> the thing is, the problem with all cultural products of which advertising is a subclass, it, it's impossible to predict what's going to work. <laughs> It's very frustrating for people, and this. But if it was possible, like you know, William Golden, Goldman, the screenwriter, made it very clear: no one knows anything, right? Right. And what he meant was, it's impossible to predict what films will perform, what what creative products will be received, which ones will get cumulative advantage, and then achieve scale. Um, so that's sort of the caveat, right? <laughs> that said, um, I think there are responses that are occurring, right? You can detect trends. You see, you can see responses, right? If If fake news and the decline in trust in media and that kind of thing is a driver, Mm. what are responses? Well, obvious responses are things that are not media, like statues you put in Wall Street, right? Mm -hmm. The very nature of that object as a non-media object changes the nature of your relationship to it, right? Versus
0: just saying, no, the opposite of fake news is truth.
2: Yeah, but unfortunately, all media is... That's the whole problem, right? Right. All media is, to some degree eroded degrees of truth yeah. True, truthiness it becomes it be, yeah exactly truthiness exactly like colbert lies yeah. the challenge right everything gets tainted that's kind of the whole strategy in a way which to drown out the possibility of rightness you know but I, but i love what you said which is uh
0: it's almost not fighting fire with fire so the solution to a fake news world was not even to be news yeah which then actually created news. Yeah, well, there's did. an irony. <laughs> yeah. there. Well, there's, there's, there's different routes <laughs> to news, right? Yeah.
2: So uh, let's say we created a category this year for the LIA Awards called Brand Action Category mm. for things that nice. inform advertising but are different from it. So the things like that win Grand Prix, like Amex, a small business Saturday.
1: Or REI, apt, opt, oh, yeah. outside. Oh, opt outside. Right. You yeah. know, so great the, action specific, that informed yeah. the communications yeah. and the oh, advertising. Yeah.
2: So actual things that are happening at a corporate behavioral level because we like that connection. Mm. It's very important to me and always has been that brand is a behavioral template, not not a set of utterances around your products. And
1: and we know this. We know that consumers are looking for brands to not just talk the talk. They can look Mm -hmm. up anything and see how the owners or how the brands behave. And so more and more, you have to walk the walk. You do this by actual actions that you put out into the world. And the great thing about brands and, and the world that we live in is that in in this world of the, the BuzzFeed world and the attention world, one of the key drivers of shared material, according to the New York Times study, was something being awesome. And they use this in the more traditional sense. So awe-inspiring mm-hmm. and something that forces you to change or shift your view on reality. So we always use the example of the Northern Lights, Aurora Borealis. Mm. You see, see that and you're like, holy shit, that's so awesome. And oh, my God, I need to tell someone immediately. And I had no idea that existed. Now for humans, that's pretty hard to do. However, brands like Red Bull have Mm -hmm. the money to send someone up to space and film them jumping out. And those kinds of actions can then inform the communication. Yeah,
2: like so, those so either either the brand can behave in a way like closing its doors for a day, you mm-hmm. know, symbolically, or it can make satellites and that stuff. These, <laughs> their, their substance gives them power, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one way of thinking about the response, right? If you think about the vectors of how the industry is shifting and where money is being reallocated, it's kind of all about trying to get where attention is still clustered, right? So influencer marketing which I think is a misnomer but you understand what I mean right mm. going to individuals that produce videos usually or content but that word's a bit right. annoying isn't it <laughs> um are you content with that content I don't know but anyway um <laughs> so you go to them and you sort of re- replace the supply chain of content right they have an audience they create this content so they are media publisher and agency in one right mm-hmm. so that's one that's that's one vector Native advertising is, is just the same idea, but going to media directly, right? So put me into the content stream and make it at the same time, right? These are all different but it's still vectors, sort of
0: right? niche famous. Mm. Or, you know. I agree,
2: yes, uh, especially at the moment.
0: Versus uh, what, Felix, who was the guy who jumped out of the plane?
2: For yes, Baumgartner. Balmengard- yeah, that was globally famous. That seems play. like it had some scale. But I think that's the point, right? Unfortunately... Fame e- online everybody is famous, that some are more famous than others. Mm-hmm. And everything is enumerated, so you can always tell where you are in the scale of fame, right? Um, it's like that
1: Black Mirror episode. It is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It exactly. is. It really exactly. is. And it also,
2: it's kind of how media kind of costs things as well, right? Mm-hmm. So you can be incredibly famous nowadays and nobody will have ever heard of you, which is very confusing. Right. But you can see these different kinds of fame... Um, bumping each other. So, I, call,
0: I, I call it phone famous.
2: Well, there yeah, are some people yes. who are phone famous. And... They're famous to discrete groups, yeah. right? And, you know, the the most famous YouTubers like die are very, very famous to a discrete group. And outside of that group, no one's ever going to have heard of it. Mm-hmm. There can be videos that have billions and billions of views and you and I and you will never see them or ever hear about them. So that's the thing. And in infinite space, fame is a very difficult thing to ask for
0: yeah it's it's interesting i never thought of uh media landscape in uh as infinite Mm. Uh, you know i think i've said it in a meeting oh the you know the possibilities are infinite but when you contemplate the infinite uh even as famous as beyonce
2: is she's a little you know
0: quasar it's not uh,
2: and again they got famous before things fragmented oh that's interesting. so um but yes, there's a space shift. The digital media is functionally infinite. Hmm. And people argue that people can say things like, well there's, you know, there's always been more books than anyone anyone could read. You know, libraries are infinite in that Which capacity. Which is frustrating. I yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, um, the, the, there's lots of, that's why you have to, you've never finished a book you don't like. There's plenty of books. Don't put yourself through that. What's the I point? I can't stop. Just don't, just, oh, let just, can't, must, must just let it go. can't. I have to. I must let it go. I might skip a few
1: pages, but I'm just like, no, I need to figure out who did it.
2: But the difference with digital things is that everything is equally accessible you have to be able to go to libraries and get the book and find the thing and read you know what i mean you need to be holding it whereas all digital content is one click away so that infinity is a different type of infinity
0: so all right so let's let's maybe break the model for a second so the model traditionally has been we're going to get this brand service idea famous mm-hmm. that's going to lead to sales yeah. and that's going to lead to growth yeah
2: so is, is is the model changing? Hmm. No, I don't think it has. I think there has been a misdirection in some degree.
1: Do you want to talk about Goodhart's law at all?
2: Yeah, we can. I am yeah, well let's get Ooh, to is that. Was this going to be good new juicy <laughs> stuff? I like Goodhart's law. It's it's <laughs> Goodhart's law is is a we can well let's get to it. But um let's just start yeah. Goodhart was the professor of um sociology at the London School of Economics and he pointed out that when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a useful measure. Hmm. And a lot of the systemic changes in the industry can be ascribed to this misdirection, if you think about it, right? Because the way advertising works is complex and diffuse... We measure it through intermediaries based on an assumed model of response. Those intermediaries become the metrics we then task agencies with, be that engagement metrics, media metrics, creative brand tracker scores, whatever they are. And once you do that, they cease to be good measures immediately because they become targets.
1: Yeah, because Aquafina, let's say Aquafina briefs all of us to sell more water. um, And we create a video to do that piece of content. Everyone's liking content now. And they say, right, guys, we want a million views on that video. So now our metric that we're measuring our success on is did we get to a million views, Hmm. not did we sell more Aquafina water. Mm -hmm. And because we're tasked with getting a million views, we're going to do things that might help us to get to a million views, but which might not ultimately affect Hmm. like buying video views. But that sounds like
0: if you just shifted the – uh, the objective to growth, which I know yeah. you sit here in advertising and go, how could it not yeah. be growth? But well, sometimes the, yeah, it's not. So
2: they're in, well, sometimes it's not. It could be recruitment occasionally or mm. donations, but usually it's growth. Um, however, the way advertising creates growth isn't usually through sales response, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the big misunder- or the big divide and, my, my, to my mind, misunderstanding. Um, the industry pivoted around this sort of frantic desire to do targeted scale. This sort of dismantling of Wanamaker's shibboleth that somehow half my advertising was wasted. And if you look at the research on this, it doesn't seem to be very true. And where's Wanamaker
0: today? I think more than half was wasted. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I
2: mean, his name didn't make it through the books except as that, you know, aphorism. (laughs) But like, well, I think he set up a department store, didn't he? But um, but, um, but, um, this idea that you could somehow target more efficiently, thanks to digital channels, that would let you then have the same effect for less money was very appealing. However, there's something happens, I think. I wrote a paper about this, and it's called Personalized Advertising is an Oxymoron. My belief is that advertising operates as a sociocultural stimulus, and it therefore needs to be seen by many people, and that people need to be aware that other people have seen it. Yes. Otherwise, it doesn't work the same way because uh, when I get something served to me on on the F book that has my name on a T-shirt or something, you've seen those sort of ads targeted Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. That's not an ad, in my opinion. It's direct marketing. Mm -hmm. All those things. Legends
0: born in August. Yes, exactly.
2: All those things are direct marketing, not advertising, and they they operate differently.
0: are you going to tell me that there are legends born in March? Is there someone (laughs) for the March birthday (laughs) convention? See, unfortunately,
2: that's the the challenge, right? Your (laughs) internet is different to my internet, and everyone's internet is now different. Um, and so because of that, none of those things work in the same way. Mm. Either you buy it or you don't. But you never have any sense of this exists in the world.
0: So going back to Goldman, uh, if no one knows anything, mm-hmm. um, what do you think people are seeing in you two? Like when you guys get the the email, yeah. wh- why? Why are they bringing
2: you two in? Uh, sometimes it's because they want to hang out.
1: Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say the hair.
2: Yeah. Um <laughs> It is true. But but
0: again, I mean, I don't know how much business you can get on being follicle friendly. Yeah, no, I mean, (laughs) well, yeah, I mean,
2: there was a time when haircuts were everything in this industry. But, you know, um, there's a combination of things, right? So um, I guess we are belief forward. Mm. And because we have a lot of things we've written on the internet and a book out there, people that buy into some of the beliefs and the frameworks that we created get us in to see if they can apply to some of their problems. Um, I mean,
0: do you think there's one specific belief or framework that you guys have out there that you go,
2: that's the one that's getting the
0: most traction? Or
2: It's a combination of pieces. Um...
1: I mean, I think the genius steals thing is honestly a big part of it, tied in with the fact that agencies are so they don't want to share the way that they work and their tools and processes. And because we have experience working with so many different types of places, being able to expose that thinking and help, you know, again, a different kind of agency think about, Tools or processes that would be relevant to them that might not be within their specific toolbox. I think that ends up being that's really
2: why it's yeah a pretty it, it's not something that occurred to us, but it's become a big chunk of what people reach out to us for. So, a PR company that wants to understand how to do strategic planning, or a digital agency that wants to know how to upscale into advertising conversations. Hmm. Um, be- because of the great blur, right? What we call the great blur. The great blur is this kind of escalation of value propositions of business partners across a huge space right the in the idea in the creative solutions to business problems category is all ad agencies of every flavor um every discipline specific shop in the world and all the consultancies and um uh, to some degree like so that the idea of ideas is uh, it's is in play right mm-hmm. when people began to escalate the proposition up from creative agency or media agency to solutions provider it blurred how agencies work. Mm -hmm. And some clients don't really understand what they're supposed to do anymore with them. It's like, what kind of agency are you, though? We do creative solutions. But do you buy media as well? Is it that kind Mm -hmm. of creative solution? Like, well, you know. So that, I think, is coming up a lot more. It's kind of analogous to when I was at Naked for a long time in London, Australia, and then in New York. And uh, when Naked was very hot, decades ago, maybe, a lot of creative agencies would hire us to pitch with them hmm. to sort of add in something, hmm. I don't know, comms plan around the nugget of a creative thought that was going to be some TV scripts inevitably. Uh, so, <laughs> like, and that, that was part of it, right? And that's kind of... Pitch theatre consultants. We, oh, yeah. we still do pitch consulting for a number of agencies, in fact, in New York and elsewhere. But um, the fact that The Great Blur is occurring means that there's a great deal of interest between different kinds of shops... Of what other people are doing and how to deploy those mm-hmm. different processes, all those kinds of thinking, right? right? But
0: providing thinking on how brands and agencies should be organizing their thinking, mm. to me, feels like new thinking. I mean, that's, the, or, or at least it's new uh, that we're going to talk about it because mm. uh, I think, um, you know, maybe in, I, I see consultants sort of finding a problem for a client and then oh my heavens we we actually have the solution how did that happen
2: yeah so we um there is a an article i read recently that i like because um i'm british and i think probably a bit people say i think too much but i find irritating that doesn't seem like a good descriptor but anyway um (laughs) i don't like people who express themselves with certainty about things that are complex because it seems fundamentally naive to me if you say this is definitely going to work that's a lie because you don't know that there's no way to know that so we don't say this is the solution to your problems we'll go let's think about it together and then let's work on something together that maybe will suit your particular needs um we do a number of sort of workshop like objects with like how does work get made at this company where does work come in what are the apertures and the documents that create projects where do they go who decides where they go next and why and How is that resource done? You guys look
0: at Gypsy Ideo in that sense. I mean, right, because Ideo sort of does process.
2: Yeah, and we did, I mean, They do way
1: more product R&D stuff, too. They
2: did. They do industrial design as well, but they also do. um, So, yeah, the the whole idea of consumer journeys that we started playing with in the early 2000s at Naked, um, we stole from service design. But you guys, what you're talking about here, this is idea journey. Yeah. Or work yeah, yeah. journey. Yeah, but it's the same thing. It's kind of interesting. We did consumer journeys for, we did a big project for a research company in London last summer.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And all we did, well, not all we did there, but part of it was to interview their clients and their um, prospects and their existing staff members and, and work out how a project gets manifested inside a Unilever or inside mm-hmm. a Diageo. Mm-hmm. And then how do they get picked? You know, What's the consumer journey for a business-to-business solution if you're the agency? You know? And then
1: what happens after that solution is presented? Where does it go? Which is one of the big problems that we see in so many ad agencies. People hand off a presentation, and they legitimately cannot even come up with ideas of what happens next. Of Did it sit at the same person's desk? Was it mm. printed off and shared with other people within the company? Was it presented at an internal meeting? Mm just know that a decision is going to happen. But if that's a black box and you just know the outcome, you can't very well impact what happens within Mm. that time and decision-making process.
0: To me, I I have this theory, it's called Mm deckitis. that (laughs) since uh, PDFs have gotten so good, and since we can put things in situ, that clients, the same whatever dopamine goes off in their brain, that it seems like we've made it. Yeah. So if I've got a great PDF and I'm a client, this you know job done, I can show my boss,
2: look, we made this. Well, but that's the that's the insight, right? I can show my boss. Mm. The the reason that artifacts are important is because in large corporations, we did a project with, are we allowed to say?
1: I don't know. Don't get anyone <laughs> in trouble. <laughs> well, no, we did a project as a, with an agency in New York
2: and for the world's biggest food company. And um, we had to present the same strategy uh, flying from London to L.A., four times to different parts of the organization because it's such a big organization right. with so many, and there was a cross-brand mm. um, digital proposition. So communicating internally is one of the huge challenges, right? A- and artifacts are very important for that, mm-hmm. as is understanding the motivations of your client, his bonus structure, and his bosses.
1: Mm. And, you know, it's interesting that you say PDFs have gotten so great because you're coming from a, um, a creative agency that presents and creates beautiful work so you have a leg up there you know when we talk to a lot of media and pr companies they have they don't have that muscle memory they don't have that by the way that's like our
0: only leg up (laughs) i mean
1: so but but we laugh but you know beautiful one pagers even recaps and case studies those are the things that get shared so you have a lot of companies who might have great ideas and they just don't have the the, the tool, yeah,
2: and and, yeah. Exactly. and that's exactly right. Decks, Sorry, I didn't mean to no, 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 it's exactly true. that. Decks are a tool to sell to access budgets, right? Mm-hmm. To sell ideas, but that language, I think, is. it, adver- it, it sounds so crass. It's, ad- you say it's, ad- ad- <laughs> it's adversarial to some degree, right? Like it shouldn't yes. be having to sell them. It, it should be anyway. But so um, they're a tool, and they're a, a corporate tool a piece of corporate communication yeah. right so we speak at a lot of conferences and um the level of deck design <sighs> outside of the design agencies and the, and the creative agencies horrible. is unbelievably still bad and
1: I mean, we're There's talking no like for that, really. I mean, PowerPoint templates, oh, trust you know, me, with know. loads of words. I mean, it's and great it's like... for us
2: because we are, uh, It's part <laughs> of our. That's why we get invited to speak. By the way, I, we have, I'm literally know.
0: shocked that when I see some speakers in Cannes, which mm. you know, arguably we should know at this point. Like, hey, guess what? There could be some other creative people in the right. Know, exactly. yeah. and you're presenting bullet points and PowerPoint. Well, that's the thing, so right? The, I'm.
1: I mean, I crazy. think one of the things is that a lot of speakers are there to present essentially a creds deck or a case study mm-hmm. and they present it in the same way they would present to a client instead of thinking of it as a storytelling tool and you know i put some of the blame back on the conference because a lot of conferences don't pay their speakers right so you're not going to get the best speakers if you don't pay them you're going to get someone more junior if you are going to do that no problem with that but then you need to maybe invest in someone who can help these Coach people them. and yeah, yeah. exactly A
2: coaching yes but uh, an understanding you know the the, the shoemakers children's mm-hmm. um, feet are always bare isn't that the expression like, you're doing this show, right? Mm. This is content marketing for mm. your company, right? Yeah. And that's great. I, we, we think it's fundamentally disingenuous for agencies to say things like, we don't have time to do our own marketing and content. We're too busy with clients. I'm like, well, then you don't believe in marketing or content, do you? <laughs> right. So you And suck. it's
0: obvious that we believe in this <laughs> stuff. But, but listen, Look, it's it yeah. like,
2: it, it's as important to us. I mean, no, for you're 100% us, right. speaking as a product, but everything we create has to be up to our brand standards. Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't go public, you know?
0: All right. Well, uh, by the way, this has been fascinating. (laughs) So, and I I really haven't gotten any of my notes, so that's a good sign. So, (laughs) I want to talk a little bit now about your journey. How did Mm. you guys get to where you are? So... Okay. Where where would you like to start? I don't know. Rosie, tell me. How did you start?
1: (laughs) My first job was working for Jay-Z and Steve Stout at Translation, which was an independent um, entertainment branding firm at the time. So made no money, but got to do shots with, you know, Jay-Z and Mary J. Blige. And ultimately those small companies, we didn't have titles. Mm -hmm. We got our hands messy and dirty with anything. And I started going to the New York tech meetups in New York and got really interested in that side of things. So my next couple of jobs were at a boutique PR company called Cake, which was Uh, owned by Havas and folded into there. I led social and emerging media at Saatchi and Saatchi and then most recently before Genius Deals was at 360i. So I've always had a digital emphasis mm-hmm. on my career. And Did you go to
0: school for this? Or? So digital I, and cultural, I guess. Digital
1: yeah. and cultural, yeah. So my dad's in the music industry, and I always thought... you're from
0: Nash Vegas. I'm
1: from Nash Vegas. Nashville. Really? <laughs> um, Nashville, <no, laughs> I like it. So I, I was always into the music industry side of things, thought maybe it was a little bit too illogical mm. to really pursue completely, but my majors in college were um, PR, and new media and music business, a mm. little bit of a overachiever. But once I got to New York and started working at Translation, I felt like, okay, the emphasis um, or the interaction between the three was really interesting. I really wanted to be an artist growing up, but I have not very good art skills and so I thought you know maybe Warhol got it right maybe the way to impact pop culture is actually through brands rather than Mm -hmm. through art especially if your art skills are maybe not
2: good yeah I mean yeah the Time. Um, and, and you
0: sound like you're from Nashville too. <laughs> I am. I was born and raised
2: in Middle America. Um, it's the, no, it's Southwest, I guess. Southeast. Southeast. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm also I'm excellent, excellent at geography, geography. as well. Um, considering how much I travel, you'd think I'd be better at that stuff. But yeah, no. Um,
1: We're in Nashville. So you're not
2: from I would, around here. I would describe my, let's call it a career for the sake of shorthand, but uh, I use inverted finger commas there to say so. Um, it's been somewhat circuitous. I. Uh, Graduated from Oxford with an English degree, which is fun but of limited practical value. Mm. Um, how much Canterbury Tales can I? You use just, in I'm life? very good at writing essays, <laughs> which is sort of fun part, I suppose. But there is also other skills you learn in terms of high pressure situations and how to absorb vast quantities of information and, and regurgitate salience, which is quite a plenary thing, I suppose. Um,
1: <laughs> Even just that little nugget, the way you put yeah, that was better than I. Regurgitating
2: <laughs> salience. <you laughs> yeah, I was pict- we were presenting to a client last week, and um, the agency we were gonna present to the agency that was working and then to their client. And they went, could you maybe make it less, you know, intellectual sounding? And Dumb I'm like, down. no. <laughs> um, anyway, not the point. So... uh are just $10 words. I, I really know, do. I, I love know. words. I really do love words. <laughs> words. Um, they make me happy. So I finished school in 1999. Mm. The not date so yourself, inter- Well, it's, the, t- the timing is important because I've been <laughs> here you before. You know as old as me, so really don't worry But about you've me. been here before too, right? Oh, yeah. Like, you remember the first time. So 1999, <laughs> 2000, I was like... This internet thing seems quite good. Um, I had discovered it in about 1994. Mm. I'd been online for some time. And um, the skills I developed Googling, I mean, pre-Googling, searching Dog searching for pornography, <laughs> essentially, but really, really efficiently, proved to be very valuable skills later on. Um, so I got a job at Magic management consultancy, and it was a very fun time. Um, I joined the company. And then they said, these are the stock options. We're going to float in two years. And I said, I'll be a millionaire then. They went, yes. I said, this working thing is quite easy. I don't know why everyone complains so much, frankly. (laughs) Um, Then, of course, the company collapsed uh, in 2001 (laughs) because that was the time, right? So we were a a dot-com. Bubble burst. Yeah, we were a consultancy in the manner Mm of, I guess, Razorfish still exists from that time. That was was one of the competitors then. Right, right, right and we just did start up stuff. where you
1: had your ask fair as No, that was email? actually
2: no, so that came after. So then I did a little detour from consulting uh, mm. didn't suit me aesthetically. I had to wear a suit and whatnot. Mm. And uh, I thought, hmm, that's not really for me anyway. So when that collapsed, I thought, well, let's re let's pivot in modern uh, parlance <laughs> my career. And I thought, what do I like? I, thought, I like words and I like music. So I spent about 6 months working at a record label. And yeah, I think Rosie's characterization of the lack of rigor is perhaps what put me off there as well um and then I went to Maxim magazine and I did an internship and I stayed for about six months writing things but was ultimately again not particularly satisfied with the intellectual Hmm. aspect of it and uh, also found out that when you interview I got to interview someone from Baywatch a, a woman from Baywatch um but it was on the phone And I said, well, what's the point in that? That just seems like a waste of time, to be honest. No offence. I'm sure she was very charming, but that wasn't really what I was there for. As a young lad. So then I was like, well. It sort of calls into question the Playboy podcast. Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Well, Howard Stern show. (laughs) But so then I was like, well, I like these areas, but I want something more rigorous. Mm. And so I found myself on a recruitment thing for media planning. And the, uh, the pitch of like a media agency, I'd never heard of media agents mm. before. They, didn't, they were not visible when I was at university. The, the banks, the consultancies, the law firms right. were very visible. Right. They, they were wooing us and buying us drinks. The agencies didn't really do that at the time, at least. Um, but this idea of a balance between rigor and creativity appealed to me. Mm. Um, but after about a year or two in media planning, I found Naked. And Naked is sort of where I spent the bulk of that time. Mm. So I spent six years there in London. In uh, Sydney and then in New York, so kind of a strategic planning. Yeah, track at it, that it, point. yeah, exactly. Yes, and I ended up sort of being the head of digital by de facto uh, at Naked.
0: Because um, you kind of became uh, at least visible in my world as as someone who really understood uh, not just strategy and not just people, but
2: the the, the digital bridge. Yes. you know,
0: right, 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 in there.
2: And that was yeah, there was a moment, right. Yeah. So, um, I grew up online to some degree, and. I felt that the ebbs and flows of attention online were somewhat understandable. Yeah.
1: Where do you, like, when you were at Naked, was mm. that when you felt like your interest in digital was had peaked or was most relevant or was a flip or? Um,
2: so, uh, no, it's, I think, when I, when I went to McCann to be the chief digital officer, it wasn't that my interest in digital had peaked, it was that the, it was becoming very clear that the separation of the two things mm. digital and the world or digital and the industry was not helpful mm. and that became very clear to me when i was at mccann
0: do you think that there's going to be a role now for uh like a chief ai officer uh,
2: no um <laughs> ai is interesting to me but no i i think um no <laughs> i think things need to be nested back into what they were before you know you think so okay, yeah interesting. um and now, so now talk about your partnership now. So so, yeah. how does Rosie yeah, and Ferris sure. become Rosie and Ferris?
1: So we met back in October of 2008 in New York at a party. Yeah. Um, an, art, an art party. An
2: art party. Um, a t-shirt painting party. And he had parties. tiny
1: little dreads and, and a British accent. And I mm. said, you have a British accent and tiny little dreads. We should be friends and... By the way, the accent
0: was what? That was like 80%
2: of it. Yeah, absolutely. Mostly why I moved to America, it was to leverage my accent more aggressively. Oh,
1: being from the South, you know, I used to watch the movie Rent and think, someday I'll live in New York City and I'll dance on my fire escape, drink wine on my fire escape, and I will be friends with a British person and I will be so cosmopolitan. Yeah. So uh, getting to be married to a British person. I get it And in London, I love it. But yeah, so Ferris had proposed and he... um, owned as part of the as the Chief Innovation officer of MDC he also had set up a company called Spies and Assassins which was running a lot of uh, digital work and production for Puma and BMW hmm. amongst others
2: great name for uh, an agency so it was a, yeah. f- was a fun one um, and-, and I had a stake in it. And and when I decided that it was a good, t- I did five years in New York, and I thought now's mm. a good time. It was almost five years to the month. I was like, okay. So I had a stake, had an equity stake in that business, mm. and so I sold it back to my uh, taskmasters. By oh, yeah. the way,
0: it worked out great that you were both kind of you know interested in culture and media. And- yeah, yes. I would say
1: like the we've always had the travel bug. The last year that we lived in New York, we were not in our apartment for a consecutive thirty days mm. at all because we were traveling and. 360i, I love that agency. I would go back there in a heartbeat. But um, they were always so amazing when it came to letting me travel and if Ferris had a speaking gig. Or I remember when I had a speaking gig in Australia, I said, you know, I want to take some time on either side. And they said, no, just work remotely. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I don't really want to do that. I want to be sitting at a coffee shop in my computer. Um, And my boss was like, no, you know, working remotely means taking care of your shit while you're gone. You can still be exploring just being responsive to your team. So um, we had had the travel bug, and when we started traveling, or when we um, left New York, we had speaking gigs in London, Germany, Croatia, and Sydney.
2: Over the course of about six months. Mm. Yes. So we basically slingshotted from conference to conference mm. around half the world that was kind of the idea mm. to begin with
1: so while we were on the road you know we had these speaking gigs but then part of it was we would get calls from agencies or friends and say like look now that you guys are independent agents do you think you could help us out with this pitch or this mm. thing and you know people always want advice for starting a business and i think to be financially secure is one of the best ways to start because. Our thinking was that we would travel for six months and then we would find a job probably mm-hmm. in you know, Australia or New Zealand was the end goal. Um, and because of that, we said no to most things because we had this money set aside for traveling. Mm. The only things we said yes to were the things that were actually legitimately interesting to us and, um, and also that made sense with our lifestyle. So my favorite example is you know, we were working with an agency in London – um, on a new business pitch and we were brainstorming on the beach in Bali drinking a beer and we were like, wait a second, if yeah. we can do this from a beach in Bali, yeah. why wouldn't we? And
2: like, we'll do rap <laughs> we'll do rapid ideation stuff for agencies on occasion or networks on occasion, yeah. um, which is pretty fun. Um that pitch actually was the first thing. Someone emailed us and it sort of began this stream of emails that hasn't stopped at this point, so that's nice. But it was for an airline, the pitch in question, um, for an agency in London and <laughs> travel companies have become kind of a sweet spot for us as well, simply because we have, we, have, we have a lot of opinions about flying, um, pre-made opinions. And they're like, so heavy user profile for us is like, you know, six flights a year or something. I'm like, mm, yeah, I fly about 50 flights a year, probably more, um, and internationally, not just like the same routes, commuting or whatever. So... We see a lot of different airlines and the variance in experience, especially across different airlines, is very interesting to us.
0: All right. So the last piece here is uh, one piece of advice that you give to someone. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of our listeners we find are people rising in the business and Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they – they don't know if they should leap to their side hustle. In some ways, yep. you know, you guys made your side hustle your main hustle. Yeah. Uh, and as someone who worked with uh, Jay-Z and Mary J. Blige, you know, you can't knock the hustle.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so uh, that, that's some of our listeners. A lot of our listeners are, are agency folks. I mean, uh, you guys have charted an interesting path for yourselves. You're kind of doing what you love on a daily basis. I mean, what's what's a piece of advice
2: you give to someone who wants to love what they're doing more? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're not enjoying it, stop it and do something else, I suppose. Or the way we characterize it is make your life your life's work. Mm. Because your life is the only thing that's really that. It's the most important thing. And you should need to invest as much in your own life and however that means as you do in anything you do professionally. And... and-
1: I mean, yeah. people will say to us, like, how do I do what you do? And we say, whoa, whoa, because there's a narrative fallacy, right? Just because you wear a turtleneck and shout at people doesn't mean you're going to be the next Steve Jobs. Um, yes, and I no. think the thing that people that appeals to people as they see that we're really happy and we're really enjoying it if we talk to people about the logistical nightmare (laughs) that is our life you know and i don't just mean like having an assistant to help with travel i mean thinking about tax burdens across the world and things that are just systems that are not developed or designed for fringe cases like us yeah it's hard it's not that people necessarily want to do this exact thing is that they see how happy we are so i feel like the first thing that i say to people is like Take some time to actually think about what you enjoy and what makes you happy, because especially in America, we get so focused on you graduate from high school and you go to college, you graduate from college, get that entry level job and you're working way up, you're working way up. And it's for more money, better position. But no one starts to stops you to say, like, are you enjoying it? What makes you happy? Um, one of our favorite encapsulations of this is from an artist called Dallas Clayton, and he says, make a list of things you love make a list of things you do every day, compare, adjust accordingly.
2: Yeah, nice. that, that is a good one, I think. And, and there's obviously practical realities. Um, it didn't come out of nowhere. I was working in agencies for nearly 20 years before this sort of became a possibility. So the side hustle, I mean, one of the things is, yeah, the side hustle needs to be robust enough that you can eat, um, which is really worth considering, <laughs> right? Because like people forget that, It's not just doing your job independently. Mm -hmm. It's running your own business, which is different, and doing the uh, taxes, which is, you know, the burden, and marketing your business constantly and all that sort of stuff. So you end up being all the functions of, let's say, an agency – Encapsulated, and you've got to work out who's going to do those things, right? So, um, I mean,
1: we're obviously big fans of travel. I think travel affords people an opportunity to sometimes pause and maybe get out of the day to day routine, which might help you better evaluate what you enjoy and what yeah. makes you happy. Um, I always say talk to strangers. I mean, if I'm in a queue, if I'm in a, waiting in a line, I'm probably talking to a stranger.
0: Well, Ferris, Rosie, I can't thank you enough. It's been great to have you guys on the show, thank and you so much. um. Yeah, just keep it going. I think you guys are, uh, are really inspiring.
1: Thank you. Very can we Can we throw in a, a final shameless plug? Yeah, go for it. We have a newsletter which comes out on Tuesdays and Thursdays every week. And it is all about giving people like the Lego blocks to build creative ideas and perspectives and points of view on the world with it. So mm. if you're at all interested, geniusstealsco slash subscribe.
2: Yeah, Strands of Genius, inspiration for your cognitive toolbox. Um, and uh, it also allows you to know where we're going to be. Yeah, since um, we
1: happen to be in a city near you. We would love to yeah. come and
2: chat. I'm a subscriber and I do like to see your calendar. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. so you guys Thank sense you. Of how, how we do move quite fast. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, far. Fast and far. Fast and far. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank
2: you. you again.
1: You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shy day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashyatny.tumblr.com.